Welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you have your Bible, open up to uh, Proverbs chapter 18, Proverbs chapter 18, and then you could also flip over to John and maybe keep a finger there or put a bulletin there in John as well. Um, from time to time, there are weeks that don't fit into a series. Typically here at North Shore, if you've been coming, you know that we usually preach in series, and that's not something that you have to do. That's just the way we do it here, and, and it works pretty well for us here. But uh, there are weeks that don't necessarily fit perfectly into a series, and, and this is one of those weeks. We just finished our Daniel series. Next week is Mother's Day, and so this is kind of a, a standalone message here all by itself this morning. And, and one of the good things about these kinds of weeks is that we have an opportunity to uh, speak on the things that the Holy Spirit is, is really working inside of us, and specifically me this morning. This is something that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me on a personal level. Um, it's been something that's been sort of bouncing around in my heart and in my spirit for the last couple of weeks and really the last couple of months as I've been processing this. And um, it's, it's a message that I spoke in part uh, on a Wednesday night several months ago. So if you were in one of those Wednesday night equip classes, you may um, be familiar with or may recognize some of this message. But for whatever reason... Um, I just can't seem to move on from this. I just feel like this is the direction that the Holy Spirit wants us to go this morning. So I'm trusting in the fact that if God is wanting to reveal this to me, you know, maybe he's got, he's wanting to reveal that to you as well. And so the title of the message this morning is living in the presence of God, living in the presence of God. And just a disclaimer, the message is not as deep or spiritually profound as the the title or even the image up there suggests. You know, we, we, oftentimes we think of the presence of God as being way up there and high, but, but there is a lot more intimacy in that. In fact, I think that the value of the message this morning lies in the simplicity of the truth. I don't know about you, but for me, whenever I'm reading scripture or listening to messages and, and the Holy Spirit really speaks something to me, it's not often those deep, profound things that latch onto my spirit. It's the simple things that really take root inside of me. And so um, I'm hoping that this will do that for some of you here this morning as we look at these really simple things about living in the presence of God. And so Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, is going to be our foundational scripture here this morning. We're going to look at several others, but we're going to start there. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, it says this, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. <clears throat> it's impossible to overstate the value of a good friend. How many of you have that one person in your life that you can lean on, that you can count on? You would say, man, I have a good friend in my life. It's impossible to overstate the value of a good friend, that person who has been there for you, that person who has your back, that person who cries with you, that person who laughs with you, that person who knows your inside jokes and all the secret codes that you speak with. You know what I'm talking about? That, that good friend, a person that you can communicate with with just one look, right? Like something happens, and then you look at your friend, and like you're having this whole conversation with your eyes, right? We, it's, it's impossible to overstate the value of a good friend. 
That person who can trust you and that person that you can trust. That person who knows your secrets and you can trust will keep them. That person who knows the real you and still likes you. Amen? It's good to have people in our lives that know the real us and still like us. Those people that we can laugh with, that we can joke with, that we can have a good time with. C.S. Lewis says this, friendship is unnecessary like philosophy, like art. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which give value to survival. Ralph Waldo Emerson says, the glory of friendship is not the outstretched hand, not the kindly smile, nor the joy of companionship. It is the spiritual inspiration that comes to you when you discover that someone else believes in you. Man, to have someone who believes in you is a valuable thing. To have someone who believes in you and is willing to trust you with friendship. Helen Keller says, I would rather walk with a friend in the dark than alone in the light. And I'm not sure who said this last one, but it's true. There's nothing better than a friend unless it's a friend with chocolate, right? <laughs> Come on. Amen. Amen. In the same way, it's impossible to overstate the value of a good friend. It's impossible to overstate the value of a good sibling, of a good brother or a sister. I know that with a crowd this size, there's going to be some of you who are estranged from your siblings. Maybe you've had some tension, some problems, some issues in the past, and your relationship isn't great and strong. But there are some of you who have that brother or sister, man, that it is solid, and you love them, and they are there for you, and you are blood and friends and everything else that that means. It is impossible to overstate the value of a good sibling, a good brother. There's familiarity there. There's history there. There's all sorts of inside jokes, right? There's all sorts of things that you, that you have grown up in and know you understand things in a unique and intimate way with each other. There's comfort. You've been through good times and bad times together. You've laughed. You've cried. You've fought with each other and fought for each other. Melissa always says that our two little girls are best frenemies. Like, they fight like it's nobody's business, but they will laugh and giggle and play like it's nobody's business. I mean, it's just, there's something about a special sibling. With them, there is a refreshing amount of honesty, history, past, everything that goes into it. It's a special, intimate relationship. I have a lot of brother stories with, with me and RJ, uh, too many to count. Um, I, I remember Remember, we used to do this thing. We had a, uh, <clears throat> one of those little one-click BB guns. Hey, you guys remember those? Some of you had those. It's not like a pump, pump thing, but it's just a pop, click. And what we would do is we would stand next to each other, and we would give each other to the count of three to run, and then we'd shoot each other with the BB gun. <laughs> it progressed to the place where we had to um, uh, start putting our shirts on because it hurt more with your bare skin. But um, <clears throat> so that was the game, you know, click, Okay, go, one, two, three, pop, and we'd shoot each other. And um, there was one time uh, I, I was getting ready to run, and, and I, was getting, I was getting ready to run, but I said one, two, three, and then I was going to run, but when I said one, two, three, RJ took that as I should have been running, it was my stupid fault that I wasn't running, and so he was right here, he said one, two, three, pop, and that one stung a little bit, but we have those stories, right? Those stories. Mom comes out of the house, what are you doing? You know, it's... You can't shoot each other with a BB gun when mom's around, you know. <laughs> but you have all sorts of stories. A bunch of other stories that I would share, but I don't want to get fired, so <clears throat> keep those to myself. 
Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking. There's a sibling code, amen? <clears throat> like there's some things like we're, we're good here. We're keeping this to ourselves. Like maybe when dad is on his deathbed, we will share those stories. But until then, we're just going to keep that between us. It's impossible to overstate the value of a good friend or a good, stib- a good sibling. But I don't want to focus on those relationships this morning. Instead, I want to use those relationships, those best friends, those sibling relationships as a starting point for what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to show us here today. That there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There may be some of you here this morning, you don't really know who Jesus is. Maybe you've heard some stories. Uh, you, you don't fully know yet whether or not you're buying all those stories. Some of them seem pretty fantastic, you know, kind of unbelievable. Uh, you're not sure if, if you're buying all of them as truth and stuff like that. You're trying to figure out who Jesus is. Maybe you're here, you have some questions about Jesus. You have some questions about God, the Holy Spirit. You're not sure how all that works out. That's great to have questions. It's awesome. You're in the right place. I'd encourage you to find a life group or an equipped class to get into that you can ask and get some of those questions answered. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you have a relationship with Jesus. You've been growing in your, your journey to get to know God and, and to serve and worship God, but you're still trying to figure out what that means for you practically on a daily basis. What does this mean for me? How does this affect me? How does this change me? Maybe you understand Jesus only as the forgiver of your sins, but you neglect to know him in any other way. Jesus is so much more to you than just a wealthy benefactor who's a savior. And I think that the Holy Spirit would would desire that, that we get to know God in a more intimate, personal way this morning. John chapter 15, verse 15. I want you to see what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. Jesus is talking about this servant-master relationship where the master is up here and he, he, he speaks to the servants on a need-to-know basis. And, and if I need this, I'll let you know. If I need this, I'll let you know. But there are secret, hidden, intimate things. There are personal things that the master always withholds from the servant because the servant doesn't need to know all of that stuff. He doesn't need to be in my business. The servant doesn't need to be in my personal life. And so he says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not need know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus is saying, we're going to switch this relationship up a little bit. I'm not just going to call you servant. I'm going to call you friend. I'm going to bring you into the circle. I'm going to create a level of intimacy and practical informational exchange with you that we've never had before. I want you to be closer to me. Calling you my friend. Jesus is saying there's another aspect to this relationship that you need to understand. Friends. I've called you friends. And oftentimes when we talk about this, we talk about being a friend of God, and, uh, Jesus is my friend, and, and stuff like that. It can feel very elementary. It can feel very much like, you know, kindergartens and friends and, yeah, you know, that thing like that, and, and almost silly. But the reality is that that this fact, that the God of the universe wants to be our friend, opens up a whole new dynamic in this relationship. 
He isn't just my boss. He's my friend. He isn't just my savior. He's my friend. He isn't just my manager. He's my friend. He isn't just my master. He's my friend. He isn't just my captain. He's my friend. He is my friend. It speaks to a nearness in a relationship, a a closeness that doesn't exist in any other relational category. John chapter 15, verse 5 Jesus says this, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is talking to the disciples, to the people, and essentially he's saying, all right, guys, come here, bring it in. Bring it in close, come on. Let me give you a secret here. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And so what this means is you have to stay close to me. You have to stay near me. If you're going to be productive in this Christian life, if you're going to be productive as a believer, Jesus is saying, you have to abide in me. You have to stay close to me. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Jesus is saying there's safety when you're near me. There's protection when you're near me. There is life when you're near me, but you have to abide in me. You have to stay close. Verse seven, he goes on to say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever, he says, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Both of these passages suggest incredible nearness, incredible friendship, closeness, access, familiarity, spiritual dependency, like like I am fully dependent on how close I am to Jesus and my intimacy with him. The presence of God in your life is a critical component of your growth as a believer, and it's not good enough to just know about Jesus. We have to know Jesus. It's not good enough to just know about God. We have to know God in a special, close, intimate way. We must live aware of the presence of God. We must pursue the presence of God. We know that the presence of God comes as a result of of taking time to speak to God, to listen and meditate on the scriptures, to to pray and and not just speak to God, but to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying us through that that still small voice as he's speaking to us through our our thoughts, through Bible study, through uh, we we pursue the presence of God through participation um, with the believers in, in a church setting, amen? We pursue the presence of God in worship as we sing about God and we worship him collectively. We pursue the powerful presence of God. Additionally, there is is power in in the prayers of those. Uh, The power is unleashed in those who spend time in God's presence. You want to ask somebody who, who is effective in prayer, ask somebody who genuinely pursues the presence of God. There are people that you know of. There are people in your life that you know. They spend time in the Word. They spend time in God's presence. If you have a need, you take your need to them because there is power in the prayer of a righteous man. There's power in the prayers of those who spend time in the presence of God. Jesus says, if you abide in me, if you are close to me, if you are near me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. 
So I want to share with you a whatever prayer. There, I just recently, I read this story this week, and I want to share it with you. Ben is a pastor who works in Ponkill. It's a village on the Vanuatu Islands, and he shares the story of the village, and more importantly, the church buildings and some of the other buildings that they built there in Ponkill. And this is what he writes. He says, the area around Ponkill is breathtakingly beautiful. Rugged boulders and broken cliff faces are draped with thick vines and tangled jungle. The crushing breakers below create a perpetual mist. Sunlight dances over the waves, creating bright rainbow in the surf spray. But even though Ponkill is on the ocean, it has no sand. Instead, a river washes an abundance of stones down to the ocean. The relentless waves responding respond by pushing the stones back to block the mouth of the river. And so Ponkill is this place where, where all of these stone cliffs and this river is, is bringing all this river stone down and it's just washing it into the ocean. And so the river is washing the stone this way. The ocean surf is pushing the stone back this way. And so it just creates this, this area there in Ponkill that it's just completely stone, no sand whatsoever. He goes on to say this, we want to build, we wanted to build a permanent church building, but we knew we could never pour a foundation, make concrete blocks, or complete the building without sand. So we turned to God. Another pastor, Johan Atnello, led us in a time of prayer and fasting. He said, we prayed and trusted God to send us sand, and he did. One morning, we woke up to find our bay completely transformed. In place of jagged coral and heaps of river stone, there was sand, tons of sand. He says, for two years, we had sand. We hauled sand, poured the foundation for the church, made blocks, laid blocks, and completed the building. When the work was finished, Pastor Yoan told us, if you want sand for any future building projects, you need to collect it now. Then as suddenly as it had appeared, the sand disappeared. We woke up one morning and it was gone. Today, all we have is stone. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you are close. If you stay intimate, if you pursue my presence, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. This is the power of of living in the presence of an almighty God. Too many people know about God, but rarely ever experience the presence of God. Most of us, when we think about God, we consider his transcendence. We consider his, his loftiness. We consider how high God is. We consider how far away God is. And in our mind and in our picture, we, we, we put God way up there and in his holiness and in his majesty and rightly so because we don't ever want to create sort of this, this thought that we are on equal, an equal level with God. But, but oftentimes we think that God is so far away that he is unapproachable. Many of you have, have uttered phrases like, I don't even know if my prayers are, are reaching the ceiling. I don't even know if my prayers are getting through the ceiling. Anybody ever thought that before? You've, you've said that before, man, I'm praying, but I don't even know if they're making it through the ceiling. What you're saying in that is that God is so far away and my prayers are so ineffective that, that they're not even getting to the top of the ceiling and they need to go all the way to the atmosphere, stratosphere, whatever science person knows what I'm talking about. But they have to go all the way high, 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 right? Because we put God way up there. What you don't realize and what we fail to realize and what we're speaking against when we say things like that is that, that God does not exist above the ceiling. God does not just exist in the heavenly somewhere that is a long ways off, that is unapproachable. When you are praying, every single one of your prayers 
reaches the ears of God because God isn't even on the other side of the ceiling of this church. He is here inside the church right there next to you. And so when you speak those prayers with your mouth, God hears it. When you think those prayers with your mind, God hears it because he's not just far off, a long ways away. He is here, close, intimate, right next to you. It's the power of the presence of God. Problem comes when we assume that that distance between us and God is uncrossable. We think that God is unapproachable. We think that God is intimidating. We think that God has his arms crossed and he's looking down and he's ready to get us because we know we're we're screw-ups. We know we've messed up. And so it becomes a little bit of a fearful thing to approach him because we don't know what's going to happen. As a youth pastor, less than a year out of college, I was teaching a youth Sunday school class here at North Shore. On this particular Sunday, there was a family visiting our church, and he was a pastor in the state. He had some kids who were youth age, and so his kids came into my Sunday school class, and he, he just came into the Sunday school class as well with the kids, and he asked if he could be in there. I said, that's fine. And he came up to me. He said, now look, I don't want you to be nervous or intimidated um, that I'm in here today. You just do your thing. I'm not checking up on you. I don't want you to be nervous. You just, you just do your Sunday school class like you were going to do it. And I guess at that time I was too stupid to know I should have been nervous, and so I said, okay, I won't be, you know? (laughs) All right. But then he went on to explain. He said, well, the reason why I say that is because one day your grandpa showed up at one of my services in my church, and I was really nervous to see him come in. And so my grandpa, to to set the backstory, is my grandpa, he's served in in the district as one of the district officers for many, many years here in the state, and so... Um, one of his primary roles in that um, was to sort of oversee the health of churches, and any time that there was a, a dispute or a conflict or, or maybe something that happened where the district had to come in and set things right, um, often it was my grandpa and a couple of other people that would go in and sort of make things right and handle and deal with and address conflict, and so... Um, most of the time, kind of like a principal, um, any time that my grandpa was called into a church, it, it was for an issue. Now, sometimes he would go fill in, but anytime he would come, most of the time he would come as a district official, it was to address an issue. And so most people around the state that knew my grandpa knew him from that perspective. And so um, they kind of saw him as sort of this intimidating, sort of like maybe grumpy guy, Right? that would come in, and um, we know how true that is, amen? It's terrible, oh my goodness. If we could get him to fix his attitude, that would change things quick, right? And so he, he, he asked me, he said, do you ever get nervous when your grandpa is in one of your services? I said, no, absolutely not, because... To me, he's not this big, scary district official. To me, he's not even Pastor Mel, right? I mean, when, when he came on staff and, and I first started him calling him Pastor Mel, it was really weird for me to say that because he's not that to me. To me, he's, he's grandpa. He's, he's just my grandpa, and, and I know him in a different way. There, there is a different level of intimacy There's a different type of relationship. There's closeness. There's nearness. Before my parents moved to Broken Bow, um, we were there in Bridgeport, and we were living with my grandparents for uh, several months. Felt like forever. (laughs) Just teasing. Just teasing. Uh, 
but we lived with them for a while. And um, there were times when, you know, other aunts and uncles came in. I mean, we were in a house, probably 15, 16 people there for a couple weeks or a week or so. And uh, there was one bathroom, one bathroom. I'm, you know, ashamed to say that, you know, there may have been times that I busted into the bathroom without knocking and Pastor Mal may have been in there in his underwear. I don't know. It's just like we have a different level of relationship. You know what I mean? There's a different level of nearness. There's a different level of intimacy. When we were there living with my grandparents, um, after dinner, we would sit around the table for hours, mostly because grandma wouldn't let us go into the living room with our shoes on. We couldn't sit on her couch. You know, why do you have a couch if you can't sit on it? But so we would have to sit in the, in the um, kitchen and we would just sit there for hours and we would tell stories. We would try to embellish stories. And our goal was to make grandma laugh so hard that she would have to run to the bathroom so she wouldn't wet her pants. That was our goal. (laughs) So look, I had a totally different basis for my relationship with Pastor Mel than this other pastor did. So he says, is it Make you nervous when he's in there? No, absolutely not. Not at all. You see, with my grandparents, there's a level of closeness in that relationship that brought peace, not pressure. You know what I know is going to happen if Pastor Mel is in one of my services? I know that after service, he's going to give me that look. He's going to say, awesome job. Awesome. Even if it was terrible. I've preached one bad sermon in my life. And he still said, awesome job. Because he's for me. Amen? Because he believes in me. And so there's an aspect to this relationship that does not bring an ounce of pressure, but a massive amount of peace. And that's exactly, listen, I don't say that to talk about this relationship. That's exactly what God desires to have with you. Your relationship with God should bring peace and not pressure. In your relationship with God, you should feel peace. When you think of your relationship with God, if you automatically think you have to change who you are to impress him, be something you're not, straighten up or toe the line so that he will think highly of you. If your relationship with God brings more pressure than peace, then you need to learn to live in the presence of God because there's a dynamic of that relationship with God that you are absolutely missing out on. And is righteousness, is holiness important? Absolutely. Should we do our best to live according to the standard of Scripture? Should we do our best to live right and righteous in the eyes of God? Absolutely. But we do it from a place, it's birthed out of a place of love and not necessarily out of a place of duty. We do it because we love God. We do it because God is for us. We do it because God is our friend. We don't do it because he's the heavy that's coming in and watching and saying, you better get it right. There's a relational intimacy with God that when you live in the presence of God, you will live a life of peace with God. Because you'll know, listen, somebody needs to know this this morning, you will know that God is for you. That God loves you. That God is your biggest cheerleader. That God wants you to succeed more than you want to succeed. 
That God wants you to experience glory more than you want to experience glory. That he is for you. He is on your side. And I wonder if Jesus was here with us today, he might say, I want you to know me as your Savior and Lord for sure, but I also want you to know me as your friend. I want our conversations to bring you comfort. I'd like for you to think about me during your day. I want you to know you're never alone, to feel that wherever you go and whatever you do, there is a companion by your side. I want you to discover my presence in your daily life. Jesus wants you to know you're never alone. You're never alone. A friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I want us to consider the various ways that his presence plays out through the scriptures. I want to look at a couple of different categories of scripture this morning. We're going to look at his presence and how this plays out. We're going to start first in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God goes to great lengths to let his people know that his presence is among them. God wants his people to know that he is close, that he is near, that he is a God whose presence is among the people. And so um, one particular uh, image that we have is after God rescued the people from Egypt, you remember the Israelites were captive in Egypt for 400 years, and, and then God came and he overwhelmed the Egyptians with the 10 plagues, which was completely dismantling the Egyptian religious system, and, and every single plague was a direct attack on one of the Egyptian gods, and, and God's power and glory and presence reigned supreme, and, and his presence was visible through locusts and, and the darkness, and just everything we see just pointed to the majesty and the glory and the presence of God. But it was after they had um, left Egypt and after they were uh, technically a free people, they were in the desert with their children and with their livestock. They had no food. They had no water. They had no walls to hide behind. They had no armies to protect them. And they didn't know the way to the promised land, which is where God wanted them to go. They knew they were God's people, but I would imagine for some of them, and we know this is true because of how fickle the people were and how quickly they turned against God, they knew that they were God's people, but it must have been hard for them to feel his presence. And so what did God do? Exodus chapter 13, verse 21, he he showed his presence in this way. And the Lord went before them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. The presence of God never left the people. And so every morning that they would wake up, camped out in this uh, desert, they would look out in front of the camp and they would see a gigantic pillar of cloud by day. And if it was at nighttime, they'd look out and they would see this gigantic pillar of fire that's just floating in the front of the, in the, front of the uh, um, nation there, in the front of the camp there. Now, how awesome would that have been if you were one of the Israelites to every morning you wake up, you look out and you say, God is still here. God is still with me. And every night before your head hits the pillow, you look out, you see the fire and you see the fire, the power and the presence of God. You say, God is still for me. God is still with me. And every morning and every night and every time that thing moves, you get up and you chase the presence of God. And every time that stops, you camp because you want to be near the presence of God. How awesome would it have been to experience the presence of God like they did in the Old Testament? Amen? Boy, how awesome would it be to wake up every morning and just look out your window and say, yeah, God is with me. I can see it with my eyes. God is still here. How awesome would it have been to experience that and 
the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, and everything that was the visible presence of God. We see the presence of God revealed in a different way in the Gospels. If you don't know what the Gospels are, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's, it's, the, the Gospels is essentially the stories of Jesus. Um, so when we talk about the Gospels, we're talking about Jesus. And <clears throat> the presence of God was revealed in the Gospels in a completely different way. Isaiah, which is in the Old Testament, is prophesying about how the presence is going to be revealed in the Gospels. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The, the prophet Isaiah is, is declaring what's going to happen when the virgin Mary is going to give birth to a boy and his, we're, we're going to call him Emmanuel. They didn't say that his name would be Jesus, but they say his name is going to be Emmanuel, which means God is with us. It's repeated there in Matthew chapter 1, which is in the Gospels, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us is Jesus, God in the flesh, God not a far way off, God not a cloud or a pillar of fire, but God in the flesh is revealed to us in Jesus. It's a different aspect of intimacy. It's a different aspect of relationship with God in Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among them. That's saying God put on mankind when he was born as a baby in Bethlehem. Acts chapter 14. Verse 13 says this, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, who were disciples, followers of Jesus, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. They, they knew that Peter and John didn't have official like training. They weren't supposed to be smart, super educated, well put together men. They were just kind of like, you know, day laborers, blue collar guys. They weren't supposed to be super smart. They were just supposed to do a job. And scripture says, and they said, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And so there was something that that changed about Peter and John, like there was a difference about them, like they, they spoke with a different kind of authority, they spoke with a different level of purpose and passion and desire, and they look at them and they think, what's different about them? What makes them so special? The only thing that we can think of that makes them different or special is the fact that they've spent time with Jesus. The presence of God makes a difference, amen? Like living and existing and staying in the presence of God makes a difference. God's presence was revealed in Jesus. Now, how awesome would it have been to experience the presence of God like they did in the Gospels, amen? To see Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to talk with Jesus, to sit at his feet, to... To, to look out and watch him bless the bread and the, and the fish and multiply it and hand it out, to watch him lay hands on people and they're being healed, um, to watch him walk on water, to watch him do all of these amazing things. How awesome would it have been to sit at the feet of Jesus and to experience the presence of God in the person of Jesus? Man, I think, how could you ever doubt again? How could you ever waver in your faith again if you had Jesus there? He revealed himself in the Old Testament in the fire and the, and the cloud and in the New Testament in Jesus, or in the Gospels in Jesus. But I want to look at one more aspect. It's the New Testament, essentially the rest of the Gospels, and it's the period of time that we're living in right now. Um, God's presence is revealed in a very different way. 
John chapter 16, verse 7 says, Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And that never made sense to me. Why would it be to our benefit that Jesus leaves? That makes absolutely no sense. But Jesus had a plan, and he says, it's a better plan. Colossians 1, 27 talks about Christ in you. Not in front of you, not near you, but in you. Romans 8, verses 9 through 11, it's this whole passage that talks about the Spirit of God dwells in you. In being the key word. This is progressive presence here. The presence of God in front in the Old Testament, the presence of God near in the Gospels, and now in the New Testament, the presence of God in sight of us. The presence of God dwells inside of us through the inpouring and the infeeling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Praise the Lord, because we have access to the presence of God in a way that Moses never did. We have access to the presence of God in a way that Daniel never did. We have access to the presence of God in an intimate way that he is living inside of us. However, let's consider, let's consider the apostles, the, the disciples, because they they are the group, the apostles, the disciples are the group that had access to the presence of God near in Jesus, and they had access to the presence of God in through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, so let's look at them, because that's a group that kind of carries over in two different categories. So what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before Jesus was to be crucified? He was there. He was praying with his disciples. And, and as the Romans came and Jesus was there praying, the disciples woke up. They saw the band of soldiers. Peter pulls his sword out. He starts to fight. Jesus says, no, no, we're not going to fight. He puts the sword away. And then what happens is that all of the disciples run away because they're afraid that they're going to die too. And these disciples who said just moments and hours before that says, no matter what happens, Jesus, we are with you. No matter what we face, we're going to face it with you. We would even die for you. It, just like that, they all scatter, they run away, and they save their own necks. We see even later on in the evening when Jesus is being accused outside of the home where Peter is standing there, there's a little girl that comes up to him and says, aren't you one of the disciples? And Peter's like, nope, it's not me. You got me mistaken for somebody else. Scripture says even curses at her. Nope, it's not me. They run away completely scared. How could you do that? How could you run from Jesus? How could you run from this when you have seen all of that? Like you walked with Jesus. You talked with Jesus. You sat at his feet. You saw all the amazing things that he did. I mean, you were there physically with Jesus. How could you be so quick to turn on him? But something changed on the day of Pentecost. Acts tells us that the disciples and 120 others were there in the upper room and the Holy Spirit showed up in a powerful way. There was a great sound of a mighty rushing wind. Tongues of fire fell on their heads and they were, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It was no longer God in front. It was no longer God near in Jesus, but it was God inside of them. And something happened in that moment where the church was birthed and a great movement was birthed that would radically change the world and ultimately usher in the return of Christ at the end of the age. Something happened, something changed, something was radically different when God indwelled them, when it was the presence of God inside of them. 
They went into that room. They closed the doors. They closed the windows. They were still afraid of what might happen to them because they were followers of Christ. When they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, when the presence of God began to live and dwell inside of them, they threw those windows open. They threw those doors open. They marched down into Jerusalem. They were praying. They were speaking in tongues. They were prophesying. They were telling every single person that they could meet about Jesus and the kingdom of God was advanced powerfully. Thousands of people were saved that day. Thousands of people were baptized that day. And the kingdom of God God was forcefully advanced by a group of people who were scared one minute, filled with the Holy Spirit the next, and then went out to do great things for God. It's the presence of God inside of us. They left bold as lions, turning the world upside down, not running away from death, but running towards death for the sake of the gospel. Worship team, please come. Living in the presence of God, this will do a couple of things. It will give you divine companionship. In the presence of God, he begins to express affection, and he means it, and you hear it. He's patient with your immaturity. He forgives you when you wrong him, and he stays committed to you even when you turn your back on him. Leads to deeper intimacy than has ever been before. The presence of God will give you supernatural confidence. Bill Hybels writes in his book, Too Busy Not to Pray, he says this, When I was a young teenager learning to sail my dad's sailboat, I'd often take a junior high-age friend out on Lake Michigan. If I saw a threatening cloud formation coming our way, however, or if the winds began feeling a bit strong, I'd quickly take the sails down and head for the shore. It was nice having a pal with me. The companionship was pleasant, but in a storm, my inexperienced crew would be no good to me at all. Other times, however, my dad and I would sail together. Again, I'd take the helm, but with dad in the boat, I I eagerly looked for cloud formations and heavy winds. My dad had sailed across the Atlantic Ocean and survived five days while tossed about by a hurricane and was able to handle anything that Lake Michigan could throw at us. With him on board, I had both companionship and confidence. The presence of God makes a difference in your life. It provides a supernatural amount of confidence. Let our confidence be based not in our ability, but in God's ability and his willingness to indwell us and work through us. Number three, you gain an increased compassion for other people. The more time you spend in the presence of God, the more you begin to care for other people. Believers and unbelievers, the least of these, the down and outers, God is going to give you a heart and a compassion for them because he's dwelling inside of you and that's where his heart goes. God's mission will ultimately become your mission You'll become driven, not by your own needs, wills, and wants, but by the will of God. Presence is experienced through prayer, corporate and personal worship, daily engagement with Christ, through the Holy Spirit, and scriptures. It's the powerful presence of God. Stand your feet as we get ready to close. As we talk about the presence of God, I want to make one last statement, one last thought. Sometimes my kids come home from school and they're having a hard day. For a 10-year-old, though they shouldn't carry the weights and the worries of the world, sometimes they do, right? And it's not even like, oh, that's so cute or that's so silly. Silly. Sometimes they come home and their spirit is just hurting. They just had a bad day. They're just broken. Maybe they were bullied. Maybe they've been talked down to. Maybe, maybe they failed a test and they're just...
and it seems, bring that other microphone up here too. And it just seems that in those moments, they're carrying the whole weight of the world on their shoulders. And it's hard and it's difficult and, and it's not even like a silly thing. Grandpa, could you get me that other microphone? Pastor Dan's gonna need this one. But they come home and, and you as a parent, you have an opportunity to uh, teach them a lesson, right? It's a growing opportunity, it's a growth opportunity, it's a leadership opportunity, like, like you have this chance to be able to sit down and just say, hey, you know what, let's walk through this. You know, you give them a chance to, to say, you know, you gotta toughen up a little bit. You know when this happens, you need to do this. But then there's sometimes when, when those kids come home, they don't need a lesson, they don't need a learning opportunity, they don't need to take this as a growing experience, they don't need to hear toughen up, be strong, fight back, they don't need to hear any of that. Sometimes when they come home, they just need to be in the presence of those who love them unconditionally. Sometimes they don't need a father or a mother who is wise, who is smart. Sometimes they just need a father or a mother who has two arms and a chest and will bring them close and hold them and say, you know what, buddy? I'm sorry. Life can be hard for a 10-year-old. Hang in there. I love you, man. Sometimes they just need to be in the presence of those who love them. And look, every single heartache, hurt, or pressure that you are feeling today, by comparison to who God is, is equivalent to a 10-year-old with their stresses. But, but sometimes we come into the presence of God and sometimes God isn't going to give you a lesson. Sometimes he's not gonna tell you what you need to do. Sometimes he's not gonna give you direction. Sometimes he's not gonna correct you or turn this into a learning experience. Sometimes in those hurts and in those heartaches, the presence of God in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit just wants to love on you. I think there's some of you here that just need to know in a spiritual way that our God is equipped with arms and a chest. He says, look, I just need to love on you for a second. You just need to be in the presence of one who believes in you, who loves you. And when you cry, the Holy Spirit is saying, I cry. When you hurt, God would say, I hurt. And I just want you to know that you are loved this morning. So we're gonna close like this as Pastor Dan begins to sing. We're just gonna give God an opportunity to love on us today. His presence is powerful, his presence is real. I believe his presence is in this place. And so we're gonna do this as we close. If you're in a situation in your life Maybe things are going on and it's tough. You just need to feel the love and the presence of God. I would ask you, would you just leave your place where you're at in your seat and come down around this front altar? See, why do we always have to do that? I think sometimes just for me, it's just convincing my, my spirit with the actions of my body. If that's you, you'd say, I just need to be loved on by God. I just need to be reminded again that God loves me. If that's you, would you please come? Would you give him an opportunity to just pour his spirit on you? To fill you up 
fresh and new all over again. And that's how we're going to close today. We're just going to close. Pastor Dan's going to begin to sing. If you want to sing with us, you can. But we got about three minutes left all across this place. We're just going to let God love on us. Can we close our eyes? Can we lift our hands? If you need to come forward, come. We're just going to experience the presence of God today. We're going to let him wrap his arms of spiritual love and affection around us. And we're just going to live, dwell, and bask in his presence for these next couple of moments. Can we do that? Raise your hands if you're comfortable. Let's let him love on us today.